Father, we thank you that you're here with us today. We thank you, Lord, that uh, this is not some kind of little ritual or something. This is, uh, this is not some kind of routine or trying to whip anything up. Father, we know that you are here because you promised that you would be. The last thing, Jesus, you said to us, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And Father, it is in that belief and in that faith that we stand here today, that we come and we present ourselves to you. And we do, we present ourselves to you this morning, Father. Uh, we come in front of your altar and you said that we can come boldly, we can come confidently, knowing that you love us and that the way has been made clear through Jesus. So that's what we do this morning. And Father, we ask that you would touch our hearts, that you would allow us to understand what it is that you are saying to us, that Father, we would truly worship you, and Father, we would continue the sanctification process that you have in our life of drawing us closer to you and causing us to see and know you better. So Father, we just present ourselves this morning, and we say we love you, we want to worship you and serve you, we want to hear from you, and we say, come, Holy Spirit, Amen. and fill us anew and afresh yes. in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father, also this morning, we pray for the Ukraine. Yes, Father, we pray for what's going on there. Yes, and uh, Lord, we don't know the whys, we don't know what's going on. Uh, what is happening in the heavenly realms around all of this because that's what really matters. Um, Father, but we pray for the people that are being affected by this. We pray, Lord God, that in their distress, they would find you. In their distress, they would call out to you. But that, Father God, you would send and allow every person who is fleeing from their homes and every person that is cowering in bomb shelters, that, Lord, you would be close to them and protect them. And that, Father God, you would just have your way, whatever that is in this predicament and in this situation. We don't presume to know what it is that's going on. And, but, Father, we know that you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And that, Lord, even in this, you can do something good that you can bring about good out of this very terrible situation. So we pray peace always. Yes. We pray it would be resolved quickly. Yes. And also that whatever good can come out of it will come out of it, Father God. Protect those that are fleeing. Help them, Father God, as we endure yet another example of man's fallen state, Amen. resorting to war. Father God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We, uh, uh, can I say about Andrew? Um, we have a, a connection with Kiev. Uh, Todd's son, Andrew, lives there. Um, and uh, he spent the first, like, you can maybe say better if you want to. <laughs> Can you believe? So they're going to test him for COVID. Yeah. 
I'm sorry, you have to go back to Kiev. You're positive. <laughs> oh, but anyway, we're trusting that God will lead Andrew and that he'll, and, and our prayers are that this will, will get over quickly, that we do not get into an elongated, crazy thing. Um, but right now we just leave it and pray and that stuff will turn out the way it's supposed to. Um, if anyone has a word, a thought, scripture, just save that. We'll have opportunity at the end um, to talk about that. Um, it's, it's interesting. I was this week uh, looking at, I get up and I was looking at, I just turned the Bible on on my phone and there was Hebrews 12. And I just started reading Hebrews 12. And for 12 verses, the writer of Hebrews, and we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, um, that some think it's Paul, but others don't, and doesn't really matter. All we know is that it's in canon, and we're going to believe that it's divine of God, inspired by God. But it, uh, you know, it's 14 verses, which is a long stretch, where the writer is talking about discipline, about persecution, about endurance, and the attitude we should have in it. And I kind of looked at this and I said, it just really settled in on me. And I want to take some time to start going through Hebrews 12. Because I do not believe that we are going to go back to normal. I do not believe that the church is going to return to the heyday, happy days of the 80s or the 90s where it was all about bigger, better, more and, and stuff. I believe that... Uh, the bigger part for us is going to be having to have bigger faith. I think the more part is that we're going to deal with more struggle and more persecution. Um, and I just believe that this is where things are headed. I don't want to be nihilistic about it, but I also want to be realistic about it. Uh, that uh, what is the message best for the church at this time of the world in the, in the year 2022? And... Uh, I think, yes, we should always be hoping and believing and trusting that God is going to take care of our needs and that, you know, that thing that we're waiting for God to do, that I think we should still continue to believe that God is going to do that and he's going to open that door and he's going to relieve that situation and he's going to bring that answer. But in the meantime, but in the meantime, we have to have an attitude and a perception on this. So, Father, we ask that you bring revelation to your word today. Allow us to understand what is pertinent to us individually and allow us to know your truth in the midst of it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Psalm 23 talks about, you, Lo, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, and then you read on, The Lord leads me by still waters, and talks about a banqueting table in the middle of that valley. doesn't say you're out of the valley. There's something about that banqueting table, and I'm not totally sure what that banqueting table consists of as far as how we should experientially have that. I don't know what it does. It mean we should be jumping around in glory and happiness in the middle of the valley, or should we just have a quiet strength and a quiet trust that God's with us? I don't know what that banqueting table means. It depends on the church you go to. Some would say that you should be up jumping and, and praising God, and that maybe, maybe that's true. But in whatever case, God says that he will meet us in the midst 
of the struggle. So Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So apparently there is the opportunity to grow weary and lose heart. I don't think they're making a, I don't think the writer is talking about something that has never happened to the church. He's obviously talking preventatively about how we should handle these situations so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. And at first thing it says, it says, throw off what hinders. And I did a lot of going back and studying the, the original root meaning of the word and stuff. So this is going to be a little bit deep as we go into it. But I think every word of this is important. And I won't be going through, don't worry, I'm not going through all 12 verses. <laughs> so we're just going to start a series here. And we'll go as far as we can go today. But it says, throw off what hinders. And what that means there is a large and weighty mass. That's what it actually means. Throw off this weight, this, this thing, an association or activity that handicaps us. And that's where we have to stop and say, what is an activity that we might be involved in? What is something that's going on in our life that is actually handicapping us, which means preventing us from being everything we can be? And I, I guess we can only answer that by sitting with God and sitting with our conscience and sitting with ourselves and, and saying, God, is there something I am involved in? It can be a group of people. It can be an activity. It can be a TV show. How many have had to turn off a TV show because you realize two or three shows in, you know what, this is not good. It's just is not good. But what the writer is telling us the first thing we need to do is we enter into looking at what persecution and endurance and all that. The first thing we have to do is do a self-analysis. And we have to say, is there anything that I am associating with, anybody I'm associating with, that is causing me to be handicapped, is causing me to not be encouraged in my faith or indulging myself in some way that is not healthy? It goes on and it says, and also the sin that so easily entangles us to get rid of that. So there's stuff that is put on to us by association and by what we're watching, doing, seeing, or whatever that might be. And then there's also the stuff that we might be doing, the sin that we might be part of. And I, I thought, okay, that's a pretty broad statement, sin. Like sin's a big thing. And I thought, what would be a scripture that kind of brings it into context so you and I can see what that might look like? And 1 John 2.16 came to my mind, and it says, For the world, everything up there, offers only a craving for physical pleasure. we got to agree with that one. A craving for everything we see. The whole advertising agency of the world is hoping that that's true that we will have a craving for everything we see. And there's something very important about that because what we see will have an impact on us. 
there is multi, multi billion amounts of dollars being spent on that truth. That once you see something, it's going to affect you. And that it has a power that we really don't have any power over except not putting it in front of our eyes. Once we put it in front of our eyes, then we're going to have to deal with that. It's like a memory that never goes away. A craving for everything we see. When we see that car commercial that has that brand new car. I don't know about you, but I get car envy really easy. And I just, oh my heavens. And you don't know what's going to pop up. And all of a sudden, invoke a craving. Invoke a wanting. And it's, I tell you, it is aimed at you and it is intentional and we can say it's from just an advertising agency or from Pepsi or from whatever it is but nonetheless we know the spiritual powers and principalities that rule in the world and they are hoping that they can put something in front of you that is going to cause a craving that will cause a reaction in us craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions the whole Western world is built on that. The whole Western world is built on that thing. Pride in our achievements and possessions. And it has infiltrated the church also that the bigger and the better, that means more God is with you. And it's a completely backwards belief. But it's, it's from living in this culture. And that's what this culture thinks. So when, when, when what motivates us in our life are our achievements and our possessions holy cow uh, that that is going to set up a long long walk and a long time of pursuing stuff and having pride in it doesn't mean we're not supposed to achieve I absolutely believe God wants us to achieve I absolutely believe God wants us to have what it is we need to survive and uh, if you're if you're in an, I moved somebody into an apartment yesterday. And this person uh, is a friend of my daughter's. Uh, they're not a believer. Um, and I'm watching their life go down, go down, go down. And uh, his family has kind of disowned him, so we're moving him. And I went into an apartment that I'm telling you, nobody should be living in. The door was only that high. So that high, we had to crouch down to get into the apartment. It was in the bottom of a house off South Street. And you walked in, and there was just a hallway with two doors, a bathroom at the end, and there was some kind of a little space that had a stove in it. And the, the ceiling was right there. And we went into the room that we're putting his stuff in, and you could push the ceiling up. Like it was this plaster that was falling. And no windows except some along. And I said, oh, my heavens, right? It, uh, it's just, I just look at it and I, I see where things are going and how bad things can get. And it just really spoke to me. And uh, I'm just going to pray for, I just feel to pray for him. Father, I just pray for Kai. I pray for him, Lord. I don't know why that came into my mind, but Lord, I just pray for him today. We pray, Father God, that this trajectory that his life is on, Amen. that, Father, you will turn it around. Because, Father, I know you want better than that for Kai. I know you have more for Kai than that. 
And Father, I pray for anyone living in destitution right now, that Father God are living below what you would want them to live. I just pray for them right now, Lord, that you would uh, open up their mind and heart and let them know that you, Father God, are with them and that you have more for them. I ask it in Jesus' name. So God will give us what we need um, to survive. Uh, It's just that, boy, we've demanded a pretty high standard. We really have. Uh, So it says, these are not from the Father, but are from this world. And we have to be careful about that kind of sin infiltrating. And we, again, it's one of those things where we have to look at our life and say, is there any sin that is in my life? Sin of pride, sin of wanting, craving, lusting, wanting, and all the stuff that has really propelled our whole Western culture. There's a wonderful scripture that says, uh, Solomon said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, all success is, is, uh, comes from the envy of your neighbor. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Isn't that the truth? The envy of what somebody else has. And then if we don't have what somebody else has, then we turn around and point the finger at God. So what's the problem, right? Well, what somebody else has is not our, it's not our goal. Goal ha- God has a goal for you and for me and a different one. And the guy next door might be a multi-bazillionaire. And God made him that way, and he's a Christian, and that's great. Thank God for multi-millionaire Christians. But also thank God for Christians who are able to walk in peace in what they have. You know what Paul said? He said, I've learned what it is, the secret. He said it was a secret. I've learned the secret of what it is to live with and without. It's not something that comes naturally. We don't get it naturally. We have to learn the secret of that. And I think part of the secret is, is knowing that God will provide our needs, whether or not they're right in front of us at the time or not. And uh, so it's saying take a review of our life, anything that needs attention. That's the first thing when we look at a difficult situation and strife and struggle and in our life, the first thing that the writer is saying, take a look at your life. Any further struggle after that, if you've dealt with any sin that might be going on or anything you're attached to or anything that could be within your ability to change, once you've done that, and I don't think you do it in five minutes, I think it takes a period of time to sit down and take inventory in our life. And if ever we need to take inventory of our life, it's right now. We really do need to know because everything is so unsettled that if we don't take inventory of our life, We'll start making wrong decisions about what's happening and it's God and God's letting this happen and all you're do that. and then the weary and the discouraged can come in. So we have to make sure, first of all, Father, what is within my scope to change and to get rid of or to change in whatever way it needs to happen? Anything after that, any further struggle, opposition, any kind of trouble or suffering is saying the writer starts talking about the way we should look at it. First thing is attitude. It says, and let us run with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance. Key word there, perseverance. And the thing about perseverance, and I spent a lot of time trying to find out what exactly that word is meaning in that context. And it's the ability to withstand hardship or stress, especially inward, having the inward fortitude necessary. What is, I said, well, what does fortitude mean? 
Fortitude is having a strong will in the face of danger or pain. An athlete who continues in the race even in spite of an injury. I saw something once, an athlete, he was in one of those crazy marathons, 25-kilometer marathons, which are incredible. I say crazy in a, in a light way. I just mean, I can't believe people do that. But, uh, but it's amazing. And I know a lot of people who've run marathons. But they, I saw this video of this one guy coming over the finish line. He was quite a ways. And his body was like rubber. You may have seen it. And he's like, he's completely gone. His, he has gone past his body's ability to even control what's happening. And he's stumbling and falling and, and people come and they carry him because it's, but he continued on. That's fortitude. That's what fortitude looks like. And, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying we need. We need to persevere with a fortitude against whatever stress that we are facing. It also, perseverance means, and this is something really important. This is really interesting. When I looked this up and saw the ways that it was used throughout Scripture, to remain behind. Perseverance can, can mean or look like remaining behind. Waiting expectantly, holding out patient endurance. It's very, very hard when we think we're being left behind. When we see everybody else in the church having glory, happy time, and you're not. When other people's prayers are getting answered, and yours are not. That is a very difficult place to be. Because then you, instead of going to the, to the point of thinking, well, maybe I am in a time of perseverance, and maybe God has got that for a reason, we start complaining, and we start looking for answers, and we start doubting God, and we start accusing ourselves, and then we make all kinds of, trust me, I've been through every one of those levels, and still am at times, where I have to remind myself that God can sometimes put you in a place of perseverance. Uh, last spring, uh, it was when I was on the six month, uh, when I was off for six months, I was at the back of the church, and uh, due to the stuff that I'm dealing with, it was very bad, and I was in really bad shape and crying, and it was just the whole, the whole thing. And I went downstairs, and someone came downstairs and said, very, with, you knew it was from God, said, Keith, you're in a time of endurance. And God has given you the gift of endurance. Oh, great. <laughs> I'm in a time of endurance. And actually, I had to remember that again yesterday. I had to say, oh yeah, Father, I'm in a time of endurance. And it's very hard when God has set your path as one of endurance. And we don't get to choose how long that path is or how long it takes. Joseph was on a path of endurance. Joseph is someone from the Old Testament, one of the sons of Jacob. And he, as you know his story, he said some crazy things, got himself thrown into a pit, sold to people in Egypt, was in jail for a while. His life went up and went down, and finally he came to a great success. But it was 19 years that he was in a time of endurance and perseverance, not knowing why and when. It wasn't all bad, but most of it was. 
And it's very hard when we feel like we are being left behind. But that is the actual definition of perseverance. It is being able to be in that situation without any answers, but waiting expectantly and believing that there someday will be. And that's faith, baby. That's, that's where the, you know, that old statement, the, the boys are separated from the men or the girls from the women, however that goes, you know what I'm saying. That's where you really enter into walking in faith. And there's not a darn thing easy about it. It's very difficult. But I, you know, it may not be today, but I think more and more we are going to have to understand the ability to persevere and to endure. We are going to see things happen we already have that don't make sense. I believe that we are living in a time, I don't know if I have some kind of prophetic understanding of something, but I just know what I feel. That crazy things have been loosed on the earth in the last two years, not just COVID. A lot of craziness is going on. I'm talking to other Christians from other churches and, and people with strange diseases, strange medical conditions showing up in the church. Tons of mental health stuff. Crazy things are happening. Things are going in directions that they've never gone before. Something has been loosed. And I don't know why, but I mean, you, you read the book of Revelation, and it talks that there are times that a spirit is loosed on the earth to achieve a certain purpose. Not to just go do whatever it wants, but to achieve a definite purpose. And I just really feel something has been loosed on the earth in the last two years. And I don't believe it's the end. And I believe more is coming. And we're going to see things happen not the way we were told they were going to happen maybe in our faith. And we're going to see things happen in our world, our economy, in our lives that we maybe never thought would happen. And I don't want to be doomsday, but I do want to be sensible that the bubble that we have lived in in the West, this bubble of cheap things and plenty and all of this stuff, ease, no worries, everything just kind of going our way. I, I, I don't believe it's, it's going to last. I believe there's cracks in the bubble. It also says, the, the writer of Hebrews goes out to say, on to say, race, to run the race marked out for us. And this is reassuring. Because there is a race for you and I, individually, there's a race. You're not just wandering wildly in the desert and just going wherever you want to go. That is not what's happening. There is an individual race marked out for each one of you. And, it's, and it's, uh, the important thing about that is that we do not expect our race to be somebody else's race. That our race is our race. Our walk is our walk. Peter got really upset, as you know, you know what I'm going to say, when they're walking and he's, Jesus is saying, oh, by the way, Peter, you're going to die. <laughs> and you're going to die for me. I don't know how he got all that from what Jesus said because Jesus just basically said to him, when you're young, you went and did whatever you wanted. You know, but there's going to be a time come when people are going to take you and you're going to go to a place you don't want to go and have your arms stretched out and do things you don't want to do. But out of that, they extrapolated that Peter's going to die for the faith. And Peter got it because he said, well, what about John? <laughs> right? And Jesus said, who cares about John's walk? I'm talking to you. This is your walk. And so 
we have to stop looking over our neighbor's spiritual fence and going, well, how come he got more toys than I do? How come he has more health than I do? How come he has more or whatever, less struggle? And all? It doesn't matter. It's futile. Because God has a specific plan for your life. And it's a good one. Psalm 37, 23 to 24 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights. He delights in every detail of their lives. Okay, can we park there for a minute? He delights in every aspect of your life, every aspect of it. Not just the church part of it, not just the praying part of it, but he delights in each part of it, he's, which tells me he's interested in each part of it. And he directs your steps. Sometimes it's hard to believe that, but it's true. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Amen. Now, Obviously, our idea of what stumbling looks like and the writer of this psalm's idea of what stumbling looks like are two different things because I guarantee each of you could stand up and look at your life as a, as a Christian and go, boy, it looks like there's a lot of stumbling going on there at some times in our life. Like, I don't know, it looked like I stumbled. It looked like I was on the ground. But I think what the, the psalmist is talking about, the eternal aspect. It's the eternal aspect. We're so earthbound. Uh, we think when we lose our job and lose our, you know, our whatever and lose the dog and lose everything, that somehow this is stumbling. The only thing that's really a fall is when we lose our faith. That's a fall. That's a fall. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to teach in this, these 12 verses of how to not have that happen when we hit difficulties. We have to remember that God is in our steps. Even though those steps may have led us in some crazy spots, I'm sure that, you know, when Joseph at the end of his life said, now I get it, when his brothers came and he, he helped his whole family and was able to stop them from dying from famine, he said, now I know what was meant for evil was actually God's good being done. All those steps through prison, being thrown in the well, going into slavery, all that stuff was actually somehow good. When we get in the middle of it, we have to remember God is directing my steps. He delights in my life, which means he delights in me. And he's not going to let me stumble. And boy, oh boy, I don't know about you, but I have had times and, and most every day. Because I'm still dealing with what came upon me 18, 19 months ago. Every day I'm still dealing with it. I'm able to stand up here and do this because God's a sovereign God. But tomorrow will come and Tuesday will come and Wednesday will come. And some of you know what I go through in those days. But the fact is, you hold on and you say, no, you delight in me. You're, you're guiding my steps and I'm trusting that whatever today brings, you're with me in it, and therefore, if God before me, who can be against me? Even though it may feel not so great, it may look not so great, but we play a part in the steps that we make. If you go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, this is a very famous piece of scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in, in all you do, 
and he will show you which path to take. So there's something we have to do in this too. It's not that we just flop on the couch and wait for a meal to show up, but that God is in our life, takes delight in us, but our part of it is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And when do we need to trust in the Lord with all our heart? Well, we say, well, that's good. You know, you preach that, and it preaches really easy. It's really easy to get up and preach Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Uh, but I, I stopped when I read it, and I went, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because I know now what it's like to have to trust in the Lord with all my heart when absolutely everything in my life is telling me that it's all going to hell in a handbag and that I am lost and that my faith has been fake and that everything is wrong with my life and me, trust me when I say trusting <laughs> is a work, of, it's a work of the soul, mind, body, and everything we have. I, I understand now why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your strength, all your heart. Like it takes everything you have. And so it's no just frivolous little thing. Oh, trust in the Lord with all your, all your heart, you know. Sometimes that's a very hard thing to do. And, and why would we trust in the Lord? Like really, when you think about it, why when we're sitting in the middle of a, a difficult thing, why would we trust in the Lord? I don't know why the question came to me, but in my having to be in that place, I said, what do I trust about God? I'm here saying trust in the Lord. Well, why? Because God has the power and authority to change things, and he's a good father. The thing I most trust right now in my life is that God is good. That's what I trust, that he loves me and that he's good. Because everything I'm seeing is not good. And a lot of what I'm feeling is, is not good. But I keep on going back, no, 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 no. God, you, you love me and you are good. And Jude 25 says this about it, about God. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, Power and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Done deal. And that is a very powerful statement. And it is a statement that cannot be compromised on. We cannot start saying, yeah, well, but, but what about this? And, what about? and all of a sudden a crack. This is true. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time in your life right now, and for all eternity that is coming. And I'm going to trust in that. God has power over anything trying to have power over you. God has power over anything that is trying to have power over you. And we have to walk in that and believe that and stand in that. And what Hebrews is talking to is a time when that doesn't seem to be true. That's where persecution, endurance, perseverance comes in. It's when that doesn't look like it's happening. That doesn't seem to be the case. To hold on to it. 
Do not depend on your own understanding. Another one. This is equally as hard. Like this is a power-packed piece of Scripture when it says, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Like this is big stuff. We say it so glibly, it's at the end of emails and stuff. It is, a, a, it is gonna take real maturity in the faith to walk in this. Isaiah 55 and eight. My thoughts, and, and why do we not stand in our own understanding? Our understanding of God and what God should be doing, what he could be doing, what I think is the right thing for God to do. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. This is God speaking to us, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. That's the truth. So when we think we've got it figured out about what God is doing, maybe we need to take a little bit of a pause and just go, oh yeah, that's right too. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Never will be. You do things a totally different way. This is something that really needs to be settled. But this is a good thing because we can say, okay, Dad, I know that I'm not going to understand what you're doing. I may not understand how you're doing it. And, and it's not because I'm deficient. It's because you're who you are and I will just never know your thoughts. But I can trust. I can trust that what you're doing is good. And I can trust that you're guiding my steps and that you delight in me. I can trust those things. And I don't necessarily, and really trying to understand everything God's doing in your life, that is a recipe for insanity. It really is. Because God is doing so many things in so many ways that we would probably never do it. Because you have a way you want your life to go. I have a way I want it to go. And when it doesn't go that way, boy, oh boy, worlds collide. God's world and our world collide, and boom. And it takes real trust to believe this statement that my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and to leave it at that. Boy, that takes trust. Also says, seek his will in all you do. And Luke 11.10 says something that's really important. It tells us, you know, it, it says seek God in all we do. Why? Why would we do that? Because, like it says, for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, this is Jesus speaking. So this has to be true, too. It's not an either or. It's not a zero-sum game. It's the combination of both of these things. And... What will we receive? <laughs> There's where the complication comes. Everyone who asks receives. And we may be receiving something different than what we want to receive. Everyone who seeks finds. We may very well. This is a true thing. That we will find eventually. And that everyone who knocks the door will be opened. This is Jesus saying, keep the faith going. Keep believing. And maybe we will receive something that we really enjoy in the end. Or maybe it's something that we weren't expecting. Maybe what we seek and find is something different than what we thought we would seek and find. How many of you have woken up 
you know, at the age of 50, 60, 70, 80, some, and said, yep, this is where I thought my life would be. This is exactly the way I had it planned. Thank you, Jesus, that I had this all in control and I knew everything was going to be right. I wake up most mornings going, what is going on? And how am I going to get through this day? So, but we will find, and the door will be opened. I don't know when, and I don't know how. And maybe the door that will be opened is the door that's talked about in Revelation 3 that says, and a door was opened in heaven. Maybe that's the door that Jesus will open. And we'll go from this life into that one. And trust me, anything in this life will no longer be that important. It won't be that important. So God may open the door down here of answer to prayer, or it may be the door that's opened in Revelation 3. You know that you're home. And that's not to be, that's not to be diminished in any way, shape, or form. But that's as far as I want to go today. Um, that Hebrews in this chapter and in these verses is giving us a perspective. And as I read those, those verses this week and go over them again, they're sobering. It says some sobering stuff in them that really you don't want to, you know, it's not a lot of fun to preach. Um, but I believe the best thing that we can do as a people of faith at this point is prepare ourselves for the unexpected. To prepare ourselves for God to be sovereign in ways that we, we just were never, never thought it before. To not be thrown about by the circumstances of life and the circumstances of the way things go. And to be able to somehow in the middle of it do what Paul did was find that secret, that secret of having peace in the midst, because really, boy oh boy, if there's something that has been absent in the world, and especially the last two years, has been peace. You know, this group against that group, and government against this, and medicine, and political stuff, and economic, and the church, you know, going at it. Peace has really been disrupted. And we need to, in the midst of it, find a place and a perspective that's going to allow us to say, it's okay. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to get through this. It's, it's okay. We don't need to run around with our hair on fire. We don't have to start pointing fingers. We don't have to start accusing. We don't have to give up. We don't have to surrender to despair. But that we are to run the race that God has for us. And right now, the running of the race for the Christians in the Ukraine, are they able to look at God or look around and say, this is not the race that, that God has for me? How could God have it so that I would be having to run from my apartment with my life in bags, with my children in my arms, to try to get to a safe border? How can that be, right? But yet God says, My, your steps are, are led by me, are guided by me. You see, you see, we need, to, we need to come out of our bubble and understand that God can allow difficult things to happen 
and it can be perfectly, because as much as we are saying here that the Lord guides our steps and he's with us, we also have to say to someone in the Ukraine who is running for their lives that this too is God's step and their path that he has put down for them. Because if we don't say that, we say, oh, oh, maybe somebody, sometimes it is the path that God wants. Sometimes it's someone else's path. Sometimes, no. If we're believers who seek God in a diligent way, our path that he's laid down for us is the path that we are on. To be a Christian and get off your path, you have to, wor you have to really work at it. You have to really be adamantly conviction, everything that's being said, the input of prayer. You got to really work at disobeying God, you know. You got to really go at it and say, no, I'm not listening to that. I'm not doing that. And I'm not. Um, but in this case, we have to trust that God is with us, regardless of what the test result is, regardless of what the paycheck looks like, regardless of the turn of events. And you know what? If it's not God's plan in some way, shape, or form, he's going to work it so that you get on it. Because it says, he said it to Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah was saying, I, don't, I can't be your prophet. I'm too young. He said, oh, Jeremiah. He said, I formed you in your mother's womb. And then he goes on and says, even before the world began, I knew you. He knew that Jeremiah was called. Something else, there's a little tidbit for you. You know we talk about being chosen. There's great debate within the church about whether or not our salvation is something that we have done because we have chosen God or because God sovereignly came down and said, I choose you. And there's, there's scriptural basis for both of it, both of those opinions. John the Baptist, it said that he was filled by the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. I don't think John the Baptist was in his mother's womb going, I, I accept you, Lord. He had no choice. He had no choice. And God just came down and said, no, 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 you're going to be John the Baptist and this is what you're going to do in your life. He said it to Jeremiah, no, 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 this is, this is what's going to happen here. I've chosen you. And the scriptures tell us that you and I are chosen that God somehow sovereignly chose. I don't know what it was at Billy Graham in 1979 that I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, like I went a couple nights. I went just to see the tech. I went to see the TV because I was a tech person with a, with a band at the time. And I was saying, oh, it's live TV. Look at that, the cameras and all that stuff. Little did I know that, <laughs> that God was baiting me. <laughs> just baiting the hook, right? And the third night, something just happened in me and I went, I got to go down there. I've got to, I said, just get to that part where you ask people to come down. Just get to that. And sure enough, uh, something just rose up in me and I just went, I got to do this. And I did it. I didn't choose for that feeling to happen. I didn't, it just happened. And I was somehow down in the front of this huge thing with some guy, God bless him, the person that was there to have counselors down the front and he was telling me that God had delivered him from motorcycles. 
I'm going, well, what is it? What's, I don't know what you're talking about. God bless him. He was, he had, and you could tell he had this well-rehearsed thing that he was going to say. But as he talked, it got more and more bejobbled. And he <laughs> it was really kind of funny. But nonetheless, we got to the point of being able to say the prayer. But we are chosen. And if God chose you, and I don't know the interplay between will and God's will and all that, but all I know is he said that you and I are chosen. Christ said, you did not choose me. I chose you. And if he chose you, he has a plan. And if that plan takes you through difficult times, we've got a bazillion scriptures that we're going to look at over the next few weeks where God is going to show it's okay. It's okay. It can still be my path. Father, we thank you for what you're saying. We thank you for the truth. As we, I believe, Holy Spirit, you are preparing us. I really do. I believe you are preparing your church uh, for what is coming. Lord, on November 18th, 2019, I stood in this church during a prayer meeting and you showed us that, Father God, the first of a series of global shakings that are going to come on the earth. We didn't know anything about COVID. Nothing was pandemic at that point. But, Father, we saw that truly a global, the first time since the flood, a truly global thing happened to this earth. And, Father, as we stand, you said it was the, the first of a series. We know there's other things coming. We know there are wars and rumors of wars. There are economic upset, environmental upset. We know this, Father. So, Father, we thank you for your scriptures that are preparing us with an attitude ahead of time to know how to handle this so that nothing takes us unaware and that we do not fall into the schemes of the enemy and the tricks of his devices but they w we will be girded up with your word and your truth and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's rich stuff. Uh, we'll take up an offering now, the machines at the back. For those, uh, for your receipts, for your, uh, your giving, and thankfully, we are still in a country that rewards you for giving money to, to a church. So those receipts, Liz mailed them this week. You should be getting them uh, very soon.